text. Joshua 5, 2 through 12. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives for yourself and circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time. So Joshua made flint knives for himself and circumcised the sons of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all the men of, of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. For all the people who came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people who were men of war who came out of Egypt were consumed because they did not obey the voice of the Lord to whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers that he would give us. A land flowing with milk and honey Then Joshua circumcised their sons whom he raised up in their place, for they were uncircumcised, because they had not been circumcised on the way. So it was, when they had finished circumcising all the people, that they stayed in their places in the camp till all were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day. Now the children of Israel camped in Gilgal and kept the the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight on the plains of Jericho. And they ate of the produce of the land on the day after the Passover, unleavened bread and parched grain on the very same day. Then the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land. And the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate of the food of the land of Canaan that year. This is the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please help us to consider the text that we just read and the context of it, that we might apply very important truths to our own lives. Help us to understand, help us to receive it with faith, and help us to heed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. How devoted are you to Christ? Are you using your faith in Christ to devote yourself more and more to Christ, his kingdom, and his righteousness? When you participate in the Lord's Supper each week, You express your devotion to him and your desire to grow in Christ. Just as baptism today replaced the practice of circumcision that was expected of believers and their sons before Christ's resurrection, even so the Lord's Supper today replaced the Passover feast and other Old Testament ceremonies. By having the males circumcised, the Israelites who entered the land of Canaan with Joshua had just marked themselves as belonging to the number of those who benefit from the promised Christ. They then celebrated the Passover, thereby showing their devotion to the promised Messiah. 
they participated in a commemoration from bondage to Egypt. And they devoted themselves to the God who would deliver them from their bondage to sin. They fed upon the sacrifice that reminded them of the Redeemer whom God promised to provide. Recall that the Israelites had a duty to celebrate Passover when they entered the land. We read in Exodus 12, It will come to pass when you come to the land which the Lord will give you, just as he promised, that you shall keep his service. And it shall be when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? That you shall say, It is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. So the people bowed their heads and worshipped. This is because they were entering the land believing in the promised Savior. They and their sons had just been circumcised because they believed. In the wilderness, they did not circumcise their sons, and they remained in the wilderness because they did not believe in the the Messiah, the Christ to come. The land represented the spiritual kingdom of heaven that Christ declared. We read in Hebrews 11, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Believing Israel received temporal and spiritual blessings, and so do we. God promised to provide ancient Israel with the land, and he promised to provide for our material needs as we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. We read in Matthew 6, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Israel received the spiritual blessings of the forgiveness of their sins, adoption as God's children, growth in the grace of the promised Christ, and and the certain hope of everlasting life, among others. You receive these as well when you belong to Christ. Those of ancient Israel who believed entered the land and celebrated the Passover just as Christians today join the church and partake of the Lord's Supper because they believe and are devoted to Christ. The manna ceased upon the entry into the land which they which was when they sell I'm sorry upon the entry into the land which was when they celebrated the Passover. The manna was a provision to the Israelites until they entered the promised land. The manna was a precursor of the provisions of blessing God would give to Israel in the land. The provisions of blessing in the promised land were themselves a precursor or a representation of the spiritual blessings we find in the spiritual kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, whose king is Jesus Christ. The manna manna ceased when Israel had, had access to the promised blessings in the promised land. Even so, the promised blessings of the physical land were no longer part of God's promise of a spiritual kingdom when Jesus Christ came to redeem people of all nations. Consider Ephesians 2, where we are told that the wall of partition between Jew and Gentile has been removed. 
And there is now peace between believing Jews and believing Gentiles. And consider the meaning of the Passover for ancient Israel. The Passover included a sacrifice. The Passover was the final plague before Israel left Egypt. And the sacrifice and meal represented being kept from God's judgment upon Egypt. The Israelites ate of the lamb, which represented the substitutionary sacrifice that formed the basis for their delivery from such judgment. The Passover sacrifice reminded the Israelites that God was to provide a perfect sacrifice of atonement, and they, like each of you, must receive that with faith. For them, it was faith in the Christ to come, and for us, It is faith in what Christ has already done in history for us. Furthermore, in the Passover sacrifice, the Israelites recognized that they belonged to Christ, even as we recognize that we each belong to Christ as we partake of the Lord's Supper. In addition, the Passover sacrifice was a sacrifice pointing to the consecration of the people to God in Christ. It speaks of our devotion to Christ. Christ was to become the Passover for his people in that he was to represent the consecration of his people, the devotion of his people, the sanctification of his people to be holy, walking in the righteousness of God. The value of the Passover was to those who believed. The feast represented more than being delivered from bondage to sin and the world, but also positively walking with God along with his people. We walk with God because we repented of our sins and are now in agreement with him regarding our nature and behavior. And we continue to repent and agree as we sin anew. Christ is referred to as our Passover in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Christ was crucified following the Passover feast, not during the feast itself. The meaning of the Passover itself reminded the Israelites of God freeing them from bondage in Egypt. Similarly, Christ set us free from bondage to sin and to the world. Historically, those Israelites who left Egypt longed to return to Egypt. This was out of sync with their consecration expressed in the Passover. Yet nonetheless, partaking of the Passover meal allowed the people to evaluate their faith in the one true God and the reconciliation he provided through a sacrifice. Partaking of it allowed the people to endeavor once again after obedience to the Savior and Lord with whom they were united. Partaking of the Passover meal represented the spiritual food that God provided for them through the promised Messiah. Think as well as those who partook of the Passover in Christ's day. Many were planning to kill him even during the solemnity of the feast even one of the twelve who ate with Christ himself. Others, of course, obeyed Christ. Christ gave unusual instructions to his disciples in order to locate the room they would use for the feast, and yet they believed Christ and did as he said. Consider your own devotion to Christ as you partake of the New Testament's version of the Passover, the Lord's Supper, each week. Do you plan any evil while you partake? Do you follow the fears you have regarding the things of this world? Or do you plan to obey Christ? Now, 
why do you think God planned for Christ to die the week of Passover and not on, say, the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Tabernacles? Why not on the Day of Atonement? First, it seems to me that because the Passover lamb was just eaten the night before Christ's actual crucifixion, we see that the Passover sacrifice of a lamb was insufficient. The judgment against our sins required someone who could represent us as a man, and a man who is without blemish. Second, many, peop- many believe that John the Baptist was referring to the Passover when he stated that Christ was the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Centuries earlier in Egypt, those who belonged to the God of Israel marked the doorways with the blood of the Lamb. Those who did not belong were they who do not believe in the promised Savior, who did not mark their doorposts with the blood, and who saw their firstborn die. Even so, the rejection of Christ by the religious rulers, the civil rulers, the treachery of one of Christ's apostles, and the rejection of Christ for a criminal by the people in general was contrary to the behavior of those who belonged to the God of Israel. They showed a lack of faith associated with the benefit of the Passover lamb shed blood. Yet we see the loving kindness of God even more fully in that God judged his own firstborn son. Jesus Christ was that firstborn son with the shedding of blood and death. Third, the resurrection of Christ demonstrated the marvelous hope that the people could have, the hope that the people could have if they belonged to Christ. The Passover represented the Israelites' hope in in God's promise for a land, and Christ represented their hope of God's promise for a spiritual kingdom. Christ linked the Lord's Supper with the Old Testament Passover celebration by stating that his body and blood were shed for his people. When you take the Lord's Supper, recognize that it represents much more than the atonement, but that it also represents your own belonging to Christ and your devotion to him. Again, Christ clearly linked the Passover sacrifice associated with sanctification with the Lord's Supper. The Passover and the Lord's Supper both represent a devotion of our minds, hearts, and souls. This is a devotion to the one true God who is revealed fully in Jesus Christ. To be clear, the Passover sacrifice reminded Israel of the substitutionary sacrifice of atonement. But but its emphasis seems to me to have been more on the sanctification of his people. Both the atoning work and the sanctifying work go hand in hand. We do not have one without the other. Christ shed blood and death on the cross were needed for you to be delivered from the guilt of sin and the power of sin. You were delivered from spiritual bondage, from your enslavement to sin. Christ's sacrifice was needed for both your justification and for your sanctification. In the Passover and the Lord's Supper, the Old Testament and New Testament churches saw and see the setting apart of God's people to good works, something that comes with justification even though it is distinct from justification. Did you get that? The good works come with justification, but it's just, they are distinct from justification. 
you are to be set apart in devotion to Christ, living holy lives in service of him rather than of the world. You do not earn your justification by such devotion, but you exercise this devotion because Christ has set you free from sin and the world. Christ made you new creatures for good works. Do you serve only Christ and not also other gods, such as mammon? Do you worship God without being sincere or doing so in truth? Do you use God's name lightly? Do you fail to keep the Lord's day of day of worship? Do you show contempt for those in authority over you? Do you despise or hate your neighbor? Do you indulge in thoughts of the flesh rather than in purity? Do you work slowly when you ought to work diligently? Do you speak ill of family members who are of friends at church? In short, do you complain in your heart rather than being thankful to God for all he has given you and for the circumstances in which he has placed you? Are you devoted to him? John the Baptist understood the relationship between justification and sanctification. He called individuals to repent of their sins as he pointed them to Christ and said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. John pointed to the taking away of sin through the Lamb of God, yet in doing so, called people to repentance. He called them to live holy lives in righteousness. In these words, John referred to sanctification. The visible church is to remember that Christ is our Passover in the context of how to handle someone in the church who has behaved scandalously and contrary to what is expected of Christians. The man described in 1 Corinthians 5 was not showing himself free from the bondage to sin when he committed adultery with his father's wife. Apparently, by not doing anything about it, the rest of the congregation expressed some kind of pride or approval in this immoral activity. The man needed to be excommunicated, meaning the government of the church needed to turn him back over to the world, which is the domain of Satan's rule. Just as the Israelites in the wilderness sought to return to Egypt in their hearts, murmuring before Moses and before God, even so this man and perhaps others in the Corinthian congregations, sought to return to the ways of the world. Do you look to return to the world? Do we as a congregation? Look at the Passover in the Old Testament and the Lord's Supper in the New Testament and recall that God made you in Christ Jesus for good works. God justifies you through your faith in Christ alone. God also created you for good works works that are according to God's moral law, to God's glory, and done out of faith in Christ. When you take the Lord's Supper, make sure that you are doing so with faith in Christ, knowing that you are communing with him through the Spirit who is present among us and among those who, wherever two or three are gathered together in his name. Express your devotion to Christ with how you plan to live and pray for the help of the Holy Spirit to do so. Also, plan to help others. Consider Hebrews 10, where we read, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, 
as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and, as, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Do you encourage people to serve Christ, or do you discourage them in this service? Do you discourage people in their serving by ignoring them? Perhaps you even encourage others to sin. Rather, remember to be considerate and encourage those who are serving Christ. Often you do so merely by being present. Though sometimes, and often I should say, it is more. Consider how to do that. And let's consider what the Westminster Larger Catechism has to say about the Lord's Supper because it teaches us what the Bible teaches. First, consider what the Lord's Supper is. It is a sacrament of the New Testament as Passover was of the Old. In it, bread and wine are given and received according to Christ's appointment, even as Passover was by God's appointment. In it, Christ's death is shown forth. They who partake of it worthily, that is with faith in Christ, feed upon Christ's body and blood in a spiritual sense and to their nourishment spiritually, therefore growing in grace. Your own trust in Christ grows when you partake of the Lord's Supper. They who partake worthily, that is with faith in Christ and his promises, have their union with Christ confirmed. And they testify of their thankfulness and of their engagement to God. They who partake worthily express their mutual love and fellowship with each other as members of the same mystical or spiritual body. Worthily partake of the Lord's Supper, which means take it by faith, receive and apply Christ crucified and all the benefits of his death. Christ shed his blood and died for each of you who trust in him alone. This means we also understand what the bread and wine represent. They are not the physical body and blood of Christ, nor are they the physical body and blood present in, with, or under the bread and wine, but rather are spiritually present just as truly as the bread and wine are perceived by our senses. When you taste the bread and wine, remember that Christ is just as much spiritually present with you. Because the Lord's Supper is so important to your spiritual growth, you should prepare for it, even as you prepare for meals. Examine yourselves of belonging to Christ. Examine yourselves of your sin and unlawful desires. Examine yourselves of your knowledge of Christ and what he has done for you. Examine yourselves of your faith in Christ and and of your repentance of sin. Examine yourselves of your desire for new obedience, applying your knowledge to meditate upon his word and with fervent prayer. All who profess faith in Christ are normally to take of the Lord's Supper, even those who doubt of their being in Christ. Not everyone who trusts in Christ is assured of their faith. Someone may be resting in Christ alone for their salvation and yet not have confidence of their status. Yet if they truly desire to be found in Christ and to depart from sin, they ought to come to the Lord's Supper to be strengthened by it. The Lord's Supper is not only for the strong and confident, but also for the weak and doubting Christians. 
Of course, there are serious exceptions to partaking of the Lord's Supper. Some may be so ignorant that they do not understand enough to have faith in Christ. Such might be the case if a person appreciates the love, joy, and peace they see in other Christians, but who do not understand that such attributes come from the Holy Spirit and the knowledge that Jesus Christ died for them. For example, someone may think that Jesus Christ was a mere example of sacrificial giving, like a soldier who jumps on a live grenade to protect the rest of his squad. But Christ did much more than set an example for us. He actually took upon himself God's wrath that was directed toward us. Those who have inadequate knowledge or understanding should be kept from the Lord's Supper until they receive instruction and understand it. Some may be in a scandalous sin, such as is not to be found in a Christian. The man mentioned in 1 Corinthians, who had taken his father's wife as his own, is such an example. So would someone be who intentionally disrupted a worship service or a congregational meeting, preventing it from continuing. Or someone who is committing adultery or robbing a bank. Or someone with contempt for authority. Those sorts of things. Things that are scandalous. They should be kept from the Lord's Supper until they demonstrate their own faith and devotion to Christ. Now for you who take the Lord's Supper, some things are required. Partake of it with reverence, waiting upon God for his blessing with spiritual growth in your lives. Partake while affectionately meditating upon Christ's death and suffering for you. Partake while judging yourselves, not others, and sorrowing for your sin. Partake with earnest hungering and thirsting after Christ. Partake by feeding on him with faith, trusting in his merits and receiving of his fullness. Partake with rejoicing in his love and giving thanks for his grace. Partake and renew your covenant with God and endeavor to show love to all the saints. Remember that Peter failed to pray at Christ's instruction in Gethsemane following the Passover feast, and he failed in his previously expressed devotion to Christ, wherein he claimed he would not deny Christ. We need to pray for the Holy Spirit as well to give us the ability, the moral strength, to help us as we endeavor to follow Christ. And after partaking, you still have some responsibilities. Consider how you have behaved yourselves while partaking and with what success. If you have found comfort or strength, bless God for it, praising him for the gift of Christ. If you have found comfort or strength, seek God in prayer to continue the comfort and strength and to help you fulfill your vows. If you do not find any comfort and strength, then consider whether you received it properly with faith in Christ and with a true sense of your own sin. If you find you did partake properly, be humble before God and ask him to help you wait patiently for the comfort or strength that comes by partaking. But if you did not partake properly, then confess this to God and ask him to help you partake in the future with more diligence and care. For example, this might be the case if your mind was on other things during the sermon and you did not listen. Briefly, you are to grow in the grace of God as we all partake together. 
endeavoring after new obedience through prayer and reliance upon what Christ did for you and relying upon the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. Find comfort and strength by partaking of the Lord's Supper. It may help to consider the differences between the Lord's Supper and the only other New Testament sacrament, baptism. Baptism is with water and is associated with your regeneration and engrafting into Christ through Christ's completed work. The Lord's Supper is with bread and wine and is associated more with sanctification or growth in Christ. In the Lord's Supper, you feed upon him. Baptism is to be received but once, the Lord's Supper often. Baptism is to be administered even to infants of believers because they receive the outward benefits being in Christ before professing their own, their own personal faith. The Lord's Supper is to be administered only to those who are of years and ability to examine themselves because such is required of those who, to, who grow thereby. While ancient Israel needed to perform a variety of sacraments that tended to be bloody in order to teach what Christ was to suffer for his people, now after Christ completed his work, we only have two simple sacraments. These two, along with the word of God and prayer, are enough for your needs. You have the actual events to look back to and understand the work of the Holy Spirit in regenerating you and in helping you grow in Christ. Remember each time you partake of the Lord's Supper, devote yourselves to Christ and strengthen your own faith by growing in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. Even though we are not partaking today, yet in continuing your faith in Christ, devote yourselves to obeying him according as he has commanded in his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please bless this exhortation for thy glory, for the building up of the saints, that we might grow in our faith and our devotion to thee. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.